Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented, as always, by our friends over at Mercury Mile. So spring is here and it's time to freshen up your running gear. Mercury Mile has everything you need to look and feel great as the weather turns warmer. Every run is an experience and they want to make your shopping for running an experience as well. Mercury Mile is the place to go for the latest styles. They're fusing fashion with function with top brands for tights, running gear, tops, just the whole thing. And I'm telling you, not only do they have the high-level brands that you know and love, but upcoming, up-and-coming brands as well. I know for a lot of women runners, they're a big fan of the Sarah Marie designs. They're all over there on Mercury Mile as well. So check them out. You can start running with your Mercury Mile in just three days. I'm sorry, three days. Three easy steps. Just go to mercurymile.com, complete a short profile outlining your sizes and preferences, and then you'll get a box of curated goodies sent just to you. It won't take three days, more like a week. Sorry about that. But you're going to love what you see, and that's the best part. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. They include a little packet in there. You just throw the stuff you don't like. Seal it up, put it back in the mailbox, you're good to go, and all the prices are right as well. Use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout to save 10 bucks as well. So, thank you, Mercury Mile. And thank you, Eric Tozer, today's guest here in the Rambling Runner podcast. This guy is just epic. And I use epic not only because it's true, but for a lot of people who listen to this show, you may be familiar with Rich Roll. Um, he is you know, not only someone who I've looked up to from an athlete, athletic perspective and, and un, as an unbelievable athlete, but also as someone who is obviously in the podcast space, who's doing it great. I'm a big fan of his in a lot of ways. And one of the things when you learn more about Rich Roll is he did this thing called the Epic Five, which was this amazing endurance challenge. And I was such a big fan of that. It was one of the things that really captivated um, you know, captivated me when, when learning about Rich Roll. And I had the exact same experience while learning about Eric Tozer. So Eric did the World Marathon Challenge, which is a small group of people do every year. And it's just this amazing event. It's seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. And if that wasn't difficult enough, Eric is um, a type 1 diabetic. So he was diagnosed, as you'll hear, when he was 22 years old with type 1 diabetes, which makes this incredible challenge even more challenging. So first half of this episode, we dive into the foundation, you know, all about Eric and all about the disease and how it affects him and just all those things before we dive into this unbelievable athletic achievement because the only way you can really grasp the scope of the achievement is to really understand the foundation first. So I hope you like this episode and I know you will with Eric Tozer. Hello, Eric, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Matt, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, man. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thanks. I'll tell you, you know, you we were just talking um, before we got going here. You've had a busy day. You're like, you're like juggling all of these things. You're, you know, a husband. You're a father of two girls, three and six. You have, you know, full time job. You're like, you know, crazy with, with, with the endurance sports. And today you've just been driving around, man. You're going up to L.A., coming back. You're like just dying in the car. And it's funny when I hear 
again, this is that is a life that I am very used to after years of recruiting for basketball and college admissions and now raising money. I spent so much time in the car. So it's just funny to see someone with your endurance background having to endure that as well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all sort of that uh, endurance sports in one way or another. And I, I do sales sort of in the healthcare world. And so, you know, it, it, when some of these sales cycles can be a year long or 18 months long and um you know there's always jokes going around that uh you know it's a good thing that i'm uh that i enjoy the endurance sports <laughs> but yeah lots lots happening but it's all it's all good stuff and it's all it's all exciting so it's fun so knowing your propensity just for moving around right i mean to, to do what you've done and we're going to talk about the seven marathons and seven days and so, uh, seven continents uh lord knows we'll talk plenty about that but just <laughs> just being someone who can do that do you get cabin fever being in a car that long or just being just sitting down for a long period of time do you feel like you have to just get up and move around yeah you know it's it's i being active is is great for everybody right i mean the 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 benefits of having an active lifestyle and it doesn't have to be seven marathons in a week right but just having being active every day whether it's you know taking the stairs to work or getting a some sort of ex- exercise in before work or during lunch or after work you know whatever it is um there's so many benefits to it right and and anybody around me can tell you that when i come back from a run or even coworkers that i you know speak with over the phone or whatnot you, know, you can always just the the mental and emotional and psychological kind of benefit from exercising is pretty profound. And so, um, you know, I was, I was out of the house 6am this morning, um, in a suit and, and just get back now it's, you know, after five o'clock and, um, getting in the car all day. So I probably won't get a, uh, a, uh, workout in today, but, um, you know, when we're done here, it'll be dinner time with the family and then, um, books for the girls and then bath time and 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 bedtime right so um just living the glamorous the glamorous (laughs) life of a working dad that's right that's right but you know there's that balance is what keeps us sane and you know i think it's dad first and foremost you know my my girls are everything and they're certainly priority number one and priority number two um yeah everything else is is gravy on top so um you know i enjoy my job and working hard and setting goals and going after it and um you know running diabetes sports project with with the group is is an honor just to kind of you know be associated with that tremendous bank of 100 plus athletes around the world is is a lot of fun and um so you know it's it's certainly busy but uh you know what what better stuff to be busy with than uh being able to have an impact on the community and um you know try to hopefully be a good role model for my girls in the sports life both professionally and then with your hobby through the the distance sports project i don't saying it's a hobby is almost like demeaning it obviously is a, is a large <laughs> an oversized part of your life different reasons but i guess a side project i guess maybe it's a better way of putting it and then you know um and then with your your own athletic pursuits you know when you were when you look at your girls now three and six when you think back to your, you know, when you were that age or you like you listen to your folks and they talk about you, you're, when you were that age, were you just one of those kids who was just nonstop energy, like just constant moving around and like all that stuff. I'm just trying to get a picture of someone who's, you know, it seems like you are that way now. 
So I guess I'm just trying to see, like, from an origin story perspective, what was it like <laughs> when you were a kid in just terms of activity and athletic involvement and just general, uh, just moving around and doing a lot of stuff? Yeah, what was little little Eric like? Um, yeah, you know, I we grew up playing all kinds of sports. You might, you know, my dad's six six, so he was a big basketball player and. Um, so I have an older brother, younger sister, and, you know, so we were, we played every sport there is. And um, so, you know, we were always active in that way, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I don't think I, I was a real kind of hyperactive kid. I think I was always pretty, uh, I was always into sports and I, I, I love sports. I always, you know, wanted to go on and, you know, be a pro soccer player or whatever it was, but, but um, you know, I think sports are, are just the greatest, but I, I was, I was a shy kid, um, you know, never really kind of spotlight on me type of person. And I'm still that way in a, in a sense. I mean, I, I, I don't really like to shine a spotlight on myself, but the, the instance and sort of the, 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 the time that I will is when it comes to, you know, if I can use my story to have a positive impact on the diabetes community, even if it's one kid out there, or one family, or one adult, or whatever it is, if one person can 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 or get something from it, then you know I'm happy to wear that hat, and, and I, I kind of see it as a responsibility almost. But um, for a long time, I wasn't, you know, I didn't do endurance sports growing up. I was never a runner. I was a you know a soccer player and a swimmer and a basketball player and a baseball player, and um, but I didn't really get into running. I mean, I. I realized saying this out loud, how silly it's going to sound, but I never considered myself a runner. And, and so, you know, I was, I was a, just kind of an athlete. And um, so I didn't have that endurance sports background or that, you know, I kind of taught myself how to run. I mean, even with training for the world marathon challenge, it was kind of, you know, put together a training plan and um, uh, you know, the yeah, rest is history, so to speak. There you go. So, in terms of, you know, we've brought it up a couple of times. Let's just dive into it. Just from the, you're a type one diabetic for you. Just what has the process been like in terms of just remember dealing with uh, and working with this part of your body and this part of your physiology and how it kind of, you know, what was the process like for you in terms of when you first started, uh, you know, kind of working through this and getting a handle on, you know, not only the introspection of knowing your body, but understanding uh, and taking responsibility for the various aspects that are kind of, you know, part and parcel with type one diabetes. You know, when I was, so I was diagnosed at 22. So I was just coming off of my college soccer career. Um, I was, you know, kind of in that transition where I was about to start my career and, 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 um, and then I was, you know, pretty classically, lost 20 pounds, was eating and drinking nonstop and, and having to go pee all the time and sort of, you know, the classic type one signs. I had no clue. It was completely oblivious. And I, I didn't, you know, and in part of it, I didn't know anybody really, you know, we had one family member growing up uh, or sorry, one, one friend of the family that had type one, but he was a few years older. So I didn't really know him. I didn't really know what it meant. I didn't even know there was type one and type two, you know, that's how kind of naive I was to it all. And so um, upon being diagnosed, it was, it was sort of that immediate. And, you know, I've, I've said before, I credit my athletic and kind of sports background because that competitiveness, um, 
that was just instilled in me through a career of, you know, playing team sports and just playing sports in general is that when I was diagnosed, I remember thinking on the spot that, and maybe I was a little naive, but I'm not going to let this thing, this type one diabetes that I don't really know anything about. I'm not going to let it define what I can or can't do. Um, and so that was sort of my start. And so then it was, okay, well then shortly afterward, I moved across the country uh, you know, by myself and to start my career and figure out what the heck this type one thing was all about. But I also wanted to keep, you know, kind of playing soccer and, and, and being active and working out. And so I had to, you know, this is 13 ish years ago. I kind of had to figure out what the heck, how, how, how was I going to do that? You know, there wasn't, there wasn't really a resource or, you know, resources out there to, to, to help me in that effort. And, um, and so- we're about the same age. So do you remember, Shoot, this is like I remember probably around the same time that you were diagnosed. It was when Adam Morrison for Gonzaga was yeah. like like the headliner of college basketball, and he was a type <laughs> one diabetic. And that was like part of yeah. the story was that like it was one of those things where he was dealing with it uh, while you know kind of being the top of the, of college sports and was national player of the year and, and all that. But it was such a unique story because so few people. Um, you know, at least from a college basketball perspective, but I just think generally speaking, you just don't hear about the high achieving athlete who's also type one diabetic very often. You're right. And, and, you know, there's some phenomenal examples out there. Um, I mean, that's, you know, within diabetes sports project, there's amazing athletes. And then, but outside, you know, there's so many phenomenal accomplishments being, being had every, every day out there that it's really inspiring. I think, like, you know, it's one of the great things about social media is that now we're, we're, we're able to see what's, what life looks like with type one. And that, that was, that was, a, that was the whole point of doing the world marathon challenge is that I, it, for no other reason than wanting to, it wasn't about running seven marathons. It wasn't about me doing this athletic thing it was doing this to show the world what type one can look like and kind of help redefine what, a what, what we can accomplish. And, you know, you, you've got, you know, you got Jordan Morris, who's, you know, on our national soccer team, right? I mean, how cool is that, right? For every, you, you know, young soccer player out there, you've got this, this incredible soccer player with type one, who's a fantastic ambassador for the sport um, and, and a fantastic ambassador for, for type ones. Um, so I really, I love seeing that sort of, that mindset with somebody like Jordan, right. Who's, who gets it. And he, who, who sees sort of, you know, he can have a huge impact and he does, which is, which is really awesome to see. I, I certainly appreciate that. And, and um, um, you know, it's just, I mean, gosh, when, you know, me being a soccer player, right. Like if, if, if someone like that had been around when I was diagnosed, I, I you know, fortunately I had a, I have a pretty positive mind and outlook about, pretty much everything. Right? I'm a pretty optimistic person, but you know, say I hadn't had that outlook, um, you know, having a, having a role model when it comes to type one is, is so important for everybody. I don't care who you are. I, I need it. I think everybody needs it, you know, to, to, to know that there's other people out there accomplishing awesome things. And, um, and that's, luckily that's part. And, and for you, you know, being diagnosed at 22 is obviously a lot different than someone being diagnosed at 12. <clears throat> yep. Right. Or something like that. Like it's, it's something that you know, you can, you know, have a, you know, like it doesn't feel like it might be like a social ostracization issue. 
right it's obviously an important you know it's 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 a big thing it's something that is you know and, and i can't wait to talk to you about just exactly what it did you know has done to your body and things that like how you manage it and how you feel and all of that but obviously when you have it as a youngster you know just just the the process by which you have to maintain your, your insulin levels and your body checks it's you know it, you're different than other people and what you're and when you're young any difference feels so monumental a hundred percent i you know i everybody always asks a question I, I don't think there's an answer to it but ask the question you know is it easier being diagnosed later in life or earlier in life and i i, mm-hmm. I think i there's i can see the right you know there's no right answer there. I, I see both sides of the equation. I think as, as a kid, I'm always in awe at these, you know, young kids and their families that, that get di- diagnosed with this disease. And, you know, you, I've met four-year-olds, five-year-olds that know more about nutrition, know, know more about um, the, a plate of food than some adults, you know? And so um, it really is a, it's, it's, it, it's, I hate seeing it, right? Cause no kid should have to go through, life with type one, it's, it's just the reality we live in. Right. And, and so, um, you know, then you get into the teenage years with hormones and how, how that complicates management. And, you know, you, you think about teenagers or just kids in general going, you know, being the different one at school or having that thought and it's, you know, that's, that's tough. And so I think one of the things I love doing and what we do at DSP is we, you know, get getting out into the community and speaking at schools or conferences or, wherever it is, hospitals, children's hospitals, and, and, and connecting with kids, with teenagers, especially because, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's somebody knowing that, you know, um, there's other people like me that are accomplishing cool, amazing things. And somebody else wearing a pump or here's somebody else wearing a seat and they're like me. So that's, that's, that's always pretty, pretty powerful to be a part of that conversation. Oh man, I can imagine uh, that's for sure. And and when you're talking to people like that, you know, what what do you usually tell them about year after being diagnosed? Like, what was that? And for lack of a better word, like that onboarding process of you know all the stuff that you had to learn, not only about diabetes, but about you know everything that you had to check for, and then just your own body and you know, that that higher level of self awareness that you needed, um, you know, moving forward. Yeah, you know my uh, my first year, eighteen months was was uh, s- scary. Looking back on it, in comparison to what I know now. I was, I did not have the level of education that I should have. Um, and that's nobody's fault, right? It's, 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 that's just the reality back then. Um, you know, I, I, there wasn't as much resource that as there is today or as many resources. Um, you know, you see people now that when I see people who have had it for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, it's, that's incredible, right? That the people have went 50 years with this disease and are healthy and, um, that's really inspiring to me because the technology we have now, even over the last five years, I mean, 10 years. So what, you know, what I came into the, when I came into the type one world, um, you know, I, I had to fight with insurance to get test strips and I, I, I wasn't approved for a CGM and I had to fight with them for gosh, a year until it was finally approved. And it was only approved. I only got started on Dexcom, you know, this is 11 years ago or so. 
I was only approved because I had a seizure, <laughs> right? Right. And so, uh, you know, thankfully now it's, it's accessibility is, is significantly better. Um, but, you know, life with type one today versus when I was diagnosed, um, it, it, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's easier because it's always challenging. Every day is challenging, but we have, we have greater ability. We have greater kind of, you know, access to tools and better insulin and, and, and devices like, like a Dexcom where it makes management easier and uh, really empowers us to, 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 you know, um, thrive with the disease more so. And so it's pretty exciting to see how that competition out in the industry is, you know, the, the end result is that we as patients are, our lives are going to be better and easier because of it. Now, I can't wait to talk to you about just how you manage your diet during the World Marathon, <laughs> during the world marathon <laughs> Challenge. But before we get there, I think it's important to set the stage of how, was your, how did your diet change from, say, you know, when you were 20 to now or, like, or to recently? Like, how has that evolved over time through the diagnosis, through then kind of like maximizing your diet and then also understand that like shoot man food isn't fuel for everybody you know what i mean it's not all about maximizing things people yeah. just want to eat something just because they want to eat something but how has that <laughs> evolved over time yeah you know I, I i you know i've always had a relatively healthy diet um i, I know i'm sure it can be better <laughs> you know i'm certainly I, I have a sweet tooth so that's that's something i i have to i deal with um um you know my wife eats really healthy diet and and so therefore i do as well <laughs> but um you know when i was I, I remember early on being diagnosed that one of the things a nutritionist said was you know if you want to have kind of you're at a party or whatever and you want to have a piece of cake have a piece of cake you just need to know right what's your ratio how, or how much insulin do you need what's your blood sugar doing is it going up is it going down do you have insulin on board you know there's just there's always factors and so for me, it's so the, from a nutrition mindset, um, and you know, I'm not a nutritionist, so I, I don't give out advice, but I think for, for me and what, what my diabetes team and I, you know, which is my endocrinologist, nutritionist, CDE, kind of that, that whole group, right. Um, and friends and family on my you know, diabetes team quote, but what we've kind of dialed in for me that works best is I, I look at what do I need from a nutrition standpoint? as a, as an athlete, not as a type one, not just as an athlete, as a, say a runner or a soccer player, whatever it is that I'm doing, what does my body need to, to sort of maximize, say my performance and have the best uh, result possible. Okay. So we take that. And now how do, how does my type one need to be, how does my type one management need to adjust to, to make this happen? Um, so, you know, I don't, stay away from certain foods. I don't necessarily add certain foods. Um, I eat a pretty, you know, I guess, quote unquote, you know, normal diet. Um, try to be balanced to try to have, you know, protein after workout, I, you know, kind of to refuel the muscle and restore that glycogen um, depletion and, 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 you know, stay hydrated and have, you know, sports drinks and, and gels and, you know, goo, you know, every, uh, certain cadence during exercise and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it definitely um, changed my nutrition from the standpoint of now I, 
I know what I'm putting in my body. So I'm probably better off for it nutritionally because I'm more mindful of, you know, counting carbs and, and, and being aware of, um, you know, protein and fat and all those different things. But, um, um, yeah, I, I never, I kind of took that mindset similar to, you know, upon being diagnosed, but that I wasn't going to let define, define me or define what I could or couldn't do. Um, but you know, I've been able to, again, to kind of dial, dial that in and have a nutrition plan in, in strategy, in, in, you know, uh, kind of on the table that, that, that makes management and makes my athletic adventures, um, possible. Now, a couple of minutes ago, you said when you first got diagnosed early in that process, you had kind of said to yourself, I'm not going to let this disease define me moving forward, which I like, I can totally get that sentiment and that feeling, which also makes it so almost ironic now that in certain ways, a lot, many parts of your life are dedicated towards this disease. <laughs> like in some ways it yep. didn't define you in a negative <laughs> sense, but it seems to have defined you in a positive sense in spark in like, in terms of what you've dedicated your life to besides family and work uh, seems to be you know, predicated um, or, you know, centrally defined by this disease in all efforts, um, you know, in, in, in related ways. Yeah. And you know, that I, as cliche or corny or whatever, as it sounds, I, I firmly believe that somebody told me this years ago and I never forgot it. You know, we all have something we can bring to the world and make it a better place. Whether that's, you know, you're an artist and you can create something or whether you have great wealth and you can donate it to, to causes or whatnot. Um, I, I don't have either of those, <laughs> but I can, I can, I, I, so, so when I was diagnosed, I, I saw this as, you know, look, if, if I can bring my outlook, mindset, accomplishments, whatever it is with type one to the community and, and, and have an impact on people, then, then that's what I'm going to do. Um, and you know, I, I, I catch myself because when somebody comes up or somebody introduces me to somebody and they say, you know, Hey, this, this person has type one and, or they tell me they have type one and I say, Oh, that's great. You know, I, I kind of have to back them like, well, it's not, it's not great, but you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you're like, hooray. It's like you have an incurable disease. So exciting. <laughs> right. No. Um, but you know, I think the, the community is, is wonderful and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not great to be diagnosed with anything. Right. But, but so it's not obviously a positive, but I think, you know, the, the world we live in with type one is, is so much better now than it used to be. And it's continuing to get better. And the community is so supportive and wonderful. So, you know, it's kind of, it, it, you know, we, we have the ability to live full thriving lives now with type one, not that we did in the past, but it's, it's much easier and sort of more attainable now. And I think people hopefully see that and, and, and truly believe that. And, um, you know, to, to, to not let it handicap or, or, or slow them down or deter them from doing whatever it is that they want to do. And, um, you know, somebody asked me the other day, kind of what, what is, what does success look like around the world marathon challenge and what you've done and I had to think about it for a bit, but, but, you know, 
somebody said, well, you know, you're inspiring a lot of people or you're, you're, you know, you're giving people that sort of that spark. And I'm like, well, that, that's, that's amazing. That's, 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 per- that's exactly what I want to do, right. Is give that hope to people, give them that, that, that boost of inspiration and, 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 and be that sort of role model for them. But what I think would be, you know, kind of all, all stop when they're empowered by themselves and, and they're their own role models and they're their own inspiration because, you know, I think we're seeing more and more people, you know, if, if they get inspired by what I've done or by what any, you know, say DSB athlete does, and then they decide to sign up for a 5k or a triathlon or, a, uh, you know, a Spartan race or whatever it might be sort of some activity that maybe they didn't think they were capable of. And then they go and achieve it. Well, heck yeah that's inspiring and i hope that that inspires themselves and then they, and then they're they're inspired by that and then they continue to to sort of push the push the the envelope of what they thought they could achieve um so that's you know i think that's the that's the pipe dream but i don't think it's as much of a pipe dream because it's it's really just you know turning people on to what they're capable of now so when did the idea to do something like like you know what the world marathon <clears throat> Think along those lines when did that idea start to germinate within you you know it was it was one of these um these processes where i was kind of banging my head against the wall because i wanted to find something that hadn't been done in the type one community um to kind of you know have that that wow effect and that you know i didn't even think that was possible much less with type one right and that's that's what i heard when i kind of announced this but um and i was banging my head against the wall because there's been so many amazing accomplishments right you know sebastian's climbed everest and uh fiona's won a stand-up paddleboarding um world championship and we've got ironman you know world champion qualifiers and boston marathoners and um ryan jones he wins 100 mile marathons i mean there's these incredible athletes out there that are doing all kinds of uh, you know accomplishing all kinds of amazing things and so it, it took a while to, you know, kind of find something that, um, that hadn't been done. And obviously, you know, the, I'm kind of what I'm able to do from just a time perspective. It's, you know, I, I don't, as you said, you know, I have a full-time, uh, a full-time job with a pretty massive sales quota. And, and so I can't take, you know, a month off here or there and, 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 uh, and um so i i needed to find something that, that you can't just more... run between meetings you work in sports <laughs> you can't just run you can't, just can't run to la no I, I i i work in the health i mean the hospital you know we we help hospitals oh that's right you were saying health and yeah i just defaulted to sports i shouldn't have, i shouldn't no, have made that assumption I, yeah no i we i i saw the cfos of uh you know billion dollar health systems it's it's uh nothing to do with sports <laughs> but um i oh, i man. do try to host try host to... of the year eric i got, I got <laughs> host of the year <laughs> That's, no look it's much more exciting than what i actually do so um we can all dream but about a year or so before uh, so it was some, sometime in 27 20 seven, late late 2017 early 2018 somebody sent me an article that was on Michael Wardian um, running the World Marathon Challenge a couple of years ago, and they sent this to me and were like, "You should do this." And I kind of, I literally sent back like a smiley face, like, "Yeah, right." You know, you got to be kidding me. Um, 
and but then you know the more i thought about it and kind of kept coming back to this article about mike and and um you know i kind of it, it that 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 seed was planted and um it kind of came it came full circle because i actually ended up getting connected with mike wardian who's this you know world-class runner one of the fastest runners literally in the world um and we got connected through a mutual company and and that that we're both associated with and um we chatted for an hour on the phone and he's you know nicest guy in the world and you know just obviously a phenomenal runner but um i started talking more about it and i thought well you know that would kind of check off those buckets right it hadn't been done by somebody with type one um it's you know it's seven marathons on seven continents in seven days um and my company we we the company i work for we gives gives us about a week of uh, paid time off every year to do sort of a community service project or, or, you know, work for the community. And so, um, you know, it, it might mean that I might not be able to take a vacation the rest of the week or the rest, the rest of the year. But, uh, uh, so I was able to use that time. And so from a time perspective, it worked out. And, um, and I think to, to tell the type one story on a global scale is something that hasn't really been done either. Right. You know, type one in South America or Africa, where they have to you know, bury insulin underground just to keep it cool in, 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 in certain places or, you know, Asia, Australia, Europe. I mean, type one looks so different around the world. And so I thought it'd be interesting to, from a global perspective, um, and then obviously running 183 miles, flying 30,000 miles or something, um, in a week was, was pretty compelling. And, and for me as an athlete, I mean, I, I had done, I think three marathons prior to this, um, you know, a couple, a couple Ironman triathlons. And, and, um, so I, I was about to literally double my marathon total, uh, in the span of a week. And so it, it, it was definitely outside of my realm of, you know, normal or outside of my realm of comfort, but, that was that was something that I wanted to to, to be there as well because I didn't want to just do something I had done before or something that you know is done often and um because I wanted to have that like holy crap like I didn't even think this was possible um and so I that's that's how I set out to do it <laughs> well let's, let's talk about the training then so you had a couple of marathons under your belt so the distance wasn't new to you but I think like the Ironman triathlon is probably even much just in terms of time on feet and just, you know, the, the amount that you need to just train on a daily basis to do an Ironman, you know, never mind, you know, run a great time or doing something <laughs> like that. It's just, it's an, an triathlon is an enormous, you know, time suck for a lot of people. You know? <laughs> it's an enjoyable one, but it's an enormous time suck for a lot of people. Yeah. So, so, how much did you utilize, you know, cross training and, and things like that in, in terms of getting ready to do this? Because obviously it's not like you can like prepare by like, oh, I'm just going to run 20 miles, you know, do, do seven 20 mile runs in seven days to prepare. Like, like you do for a marathon. I got my 20 mile run and I'm ready to roll. Like, how do you prepare yourself for this? Because it's not as if you just went out and did it. Like you, Again, you yeah. put out, you put out a little marketing around it, like, "Hey, I'm going to do this thing, and this is a big deal." And you know, you are doing it to get a, to bring attention to something, which is admirable, but it also raises the stakes. 
it does. <laughs> That's right. I, I mean, I can't tell you, you know, I've kind of been sitting on it for a while and, um, I, you know, I, I partnered with JDRF on it and I, you know, I've, I've been a part of, you know, JDRF events for years. And, and, and so, um, it was you know, excited to, to do it with them. And, um, but when I, you know, when we kind of had this, this date where we were going to, I was going to announce it. And it's, you know, once you put something on social media or, you know, out there to the world, it's, there's, there's no turning back. Right. <laughs> so um, that, that, you know, that very much made it real. Now that was only a couple months, you know, maybe two, gosh, less than two months before the actual race. But, um, but training is kind of everything, right? I mean, you know, you talked about people who just walk up to a marathon and do it. And, and yeah, that's, that's possible. And, and I don't, you know, I don't think it's smart from a potential injury perspective. And also, you know, you want to, I think if you train well and you train right, you, you enjoy the event, you enjoy the race that much more, right. Cause you're not suffering through it. But if, if, if you're able to hit, hit race day and, you know, have prepared well, then, you know, you're going to perform better and, and you're going to enjoy it more. So, you know, and I had done a couple Ironmans, as, as you said, and, um, you know, Ironman triathlon is 146 or 140.6 miles. Um, it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon. And so I had done a couple of those, but it's been, it's been a number of years. Um, it's probably been about four or five years now because our, our daughter was uh, a baby at my last one. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that's, it's, it's it sort of, whether it's that or, or just one marathon, it's all kind of, how do you prepare? How do you train? Um, and so, you know, I, I, I kind of put a training plan together, um, that seemed to have, seems to work, right. I, I mean, I got through the race. I got, well, first I got, I got through training without being injured, which is, which is a huge, uh, hurdle to overcome because most, the, one of the more common issues with people training is, is, building up miles too fast and then you risk you know stress fractures and shin splints and you know these sort of injuries and so you know how do you if you want to add you know, five or ten percent every week of your running mileage then you need to work backwards from race day back to to kind of build up the the mileage so um you know it's kind of triple typical training week was you know monday or sorry tuesday wednesday thursday i would i would run you know, anywhere from kind of six to 15 miles, you know, kind of building up throughout the training period. And then Friday I'd rest. And then Saturday and Sunday would be a long run Saturday followed by a, a, a relatively wrong, relatively long run Sunday. Um, so it was, you know, maybe uh, 30 miles followed by 15 miles or followed by 20 miles, something like that to get the miles in, but also then run the following day on, on tired legs. Um, that seemed to, uh, you know, kind of get, get me to the start line and, you know, got me through the race and, you know, I was relatively injury free. My, somehow my toenails are all still on, <laughs> which was, seems to, seems to, uh, surprise people more than anything else. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, I think having a coach, having, having a proper training plan can mean, um, the world of a difference. And, and then from a type one perspective, you know, this hadn't been done. And so, you know, my endocrinologist, I'm so lucky to have her. She's one of the 
leading endos in the world. Um, Dr. Ann Peters, you know, she was the endo for Gary Hall Jr. during the Olympics. And she sees a number of the professional athletes um, out, out, out in the world. And so, you know, we went in with a game plan um you know kind of have practiced and and trained and you know used the dexcom data to to look back at you know training days and and non-training days to see you know what do we need to do with insulin ratios you know what does food need to look like and all all those kind of factors and so we went in with a plan um which was which was sort of perfected if you will during training so training for an endurance event with type one or any sort of athletic event training is you're, you're practicing, you know, you're training your body, you know, muscles and heart and lungs and everything, but you're also training from a type one perspective. So that's where you practice, you know, dialing up or down your insulin ratios and, and getting used to sort of, you know, what do you need to do with your CGM and what does nutrition need to look like? And you need to train your gut because you're, you're, your stomach needs to be able to process food while you're running, which is different than processing food when you're sitting. And, you know, so there's lots of things from a type one perspective that, that need to be taken into account when training. Um, but that's also, you know, that's a lot of opportunities to, to, to dial in what your uh, specific type one management plan needs to look like so that you can, you know, like I was able to do kind of hit, hit race day with, with a plan in place. And so now I, I know that if I'm going to run more than about 90 minutes, I reduce my basal insulin. I'm on shots, not a, not a pump. So I reduce my basal insulin the night before. Um, and if I'm say going to do one marathon, I know that at marathon effort, if I reduce my basal insulin, um, for me, I go down from about 18 to about 13 for one marathon. And then I have about 55 grams of carbohydrates every hour during the race. And at that cadence with that insulin change, that, that will allow me to not have to bolus insulin. And kind of as I'm burning off sugar, I'm putting it back in at a specific rate for me with specific type of, of food combination food and drink combination that keeps my blood sugar steady. That's in an ideal situation, <laughs> so, you know, for one marathon. Um, and so when we're looking at seven, there was a bit of a question mark, right? Kind of that, that, you know, yeah, just a, it's a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just a little bit of a, and, you know, and she, I, I, we kind of laughed at ourselves because as I was, you know, one of the last things we talked about was reducing my basal insulin, we're just kind of talking through it again. She's like, you know, it'll probably do this and you're going to need to, you know, dial it down and we'll probably get down to about this point. But then, you know, because it's seven days of intense stress on the body, keep an eye out because you might actually need to bring it back up, you know, but it was sort of this, this, this unknown and which is fascinating, right? Because Anne's one of the smartest people when it comes to type one in the world. Um, and I think it's a testament to how complex, our disease is right. That, that, you know, we, we don't have it down to an exact science because there's so many, you know, out, outliers and there's just so many potential um, variables that, that we couldn't, we couldn't specify and, and, and say for certain this was going to happen. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, on the fly, no pun intended on the, on the fly changes um, on the airplanes between races and, 
to make it happen. Yeah. And speaking of that, in terms of the actual, you know, getting, you know, making it happen in terms of, you know, getting to the race, you know, doing the race and getting packed on a flight and flying to a new continent, this whole thing. <laughs> and also like you're going as a group, right? This is, this is a challenge. It's not just like the Eric Tozer world championship here. You know, there's, there's, there's a, a cohort of people. So with all of that being said, <clears throat> How important is sleep? Not only, I mean, obviously it's important from an athletic, um, you know, an athletic pursuit and you need to be rested and, and all of that, but does sleep have any interaction with your type one diabetes as well? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think sleep is one of the most critical and important factors of, of just health in general, but especially when you talk about recovery and, um, you know, stress levels in the body, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the most cruel forms of, of torture could be sleep deprivation because, you know, you have young kids and I can certainly remember those, those first, you know, six months or so, or however long with, with a newborn baby, right. You get those, uh, sleepless nights, which, uh, can certainly do <laughs> take its, take its toll. But, um, yeah, we, we had, so the way that, that the race essentially worked and, and to your point, yeah, there was 40, there was 40 athletes total from around the globe. So all walks of life, all reasons for being there, um, you know, kind of from, you know, a 76 year old, uh, Dan, who was just this, this, this world-class gentleman who, who, who was, uh, such an inspiration to everybody from Oklahoma. He had done 200 marathons, um, and just, just, a just a trooper and the nicest guy in the world to, to, to Mike Wardian, who, who came back to do it again. Um, I had the privilege of actually sitting next to him on the plane, um, for the whole week. So it was really fascinating to see how one of the best runners in the world prepares for an event like this. And, um, uh, and then, you know, kind of 15 languages or 15 countries represented and different languages being spoken and, um, a couple married couples that, that had done it, uh, uh, a woman and her, her mother-in-law did it together. So, so really, um, some, some amazing people and amazing stories. And, you know, we, the bond that was formed amongst the 40 participants was immediate and profound. You know, a lot of the races were kind of out and back. So you'd see everybody a number of times. So, you know, just encouragement the whole way through. And, and so that, that made it really special, but we started in Antarctica and so kind of quickly run through kind of the logistics of it. So we left, we all met in Cape town and in the morning of January 31st, we flew from Cape town to Antarctica. We, it's about five and a half hour flight. We landed, um, we and then from landing it took about an hour ish hour 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 and a half to you know get the course set up and and um get everything ready meanwhile we were getting dressed and and sort of prepared in those last minute preparations and then we ran the marathon uh some people finished you know mike who's the fastest every day he finished about the three hour mark um and then you know up to i think seven to eight hours somewhere in there and so once everybody was done, we, you know, we're, we, we, we were changed and back on the plane and we had another five and a half hour flight back to Cape town and landed, got our bags at, at, uh, and, and went through customs and 
drove, you know, maybe I think it was about 30 minutes or so back to, um, or over to the race location, got changed, um, did another marathon. Hold on. So I, you didn't, I didn't hear any like stopping in a hotel room there. So you were just sleeping on the plane. So yeah. So sleep was in the plane. Um, we, those first two ones, Antarctica was, the range of temperature was, was, was bizarre. I don't, I've never been to Antarctica. I haven't been in that extreme cold weather, but it was somewhere between, I think without the wind, there was maybe about 12 degrees is what I've been, what I've been told with the wind chill, uh, apparently it got down to about negative 20. So it was quite, quite <laughs> cold, but you know, without the wind chill, it was, it was, it was pleasant. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, it was, it's summer down there during, during January. So, um, it was actually warmer than, you know, kind of, I think everybody anticipated without the wind. So, you know, the, some of the snow got slushy, um, but it was just, it was, a, it was another planet down there, you know, just all white, not a sound, not a nothing to see, right. Just, just snow and ice. Um, and we ran on a, kind of oversized track that went around the runway so parts of it were you know blue ice and parts of it were mushy snow and um so that 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 was that was a challenge in itself just kind of getting the footing right um and then it was a quick flight and so typically you know you you don't want a longer plane flight i don't know people i think you'd always prefer a shorter plane flight over a longer one except in this case, because our sleeping time was really on the airplane. Um, now, if you, you know, I finished, I think my average marathon time was four hours and three minutes. So, you know, that means I would have about four hours or so until we left because everybody else had to finish and then pack up the race and go. So in those four hours, theoretically, I could have slept. I just, I can't sleep right after a race. I'm, you know, kind of all hopped up. I'm on adrenaline and energy. And so, um, it was, I was trying to rest as much as possible, but definitely not sleeping. Um, and then we, you know, South Africa was just the opposite because it was, it's summer there as well, obviously. So it was almost a hundred degrees and we ran that one in the middle of the day. Um, and so those back to back were quite tough just because of the, uh, extreme variation there in temperature. Um, and then after Cape Town, we went to um, Australia, Perth, Australia, which was about a 17 plus hour flight. So that was nice just because we had, you know, a, bl- a block of time to sleep. Um, I don't sleep great on planes, but, you know, got got a couple hours, you know, kind of here or there. Um, but that's that's where all the recovery is and, you, and, 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 and eating and sleeping um, was pretty much all done on the plane. Um, we did get a hotel. So after Perth, which we ran, I think we started the Perth marathon about 11, 11 o'clock at night or something like that. So that's why um, you had to do like early in the day in South Africa. So to, to like accommodate for the 17 hour flight to Australia. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's, you know, really once we started the Antarctica race, we had, we had until we, we had, we had, uh, seven days from the start of the Antarctica race to finish the race in Miami, Florida. So that's oh, 160. So it doesn't it have to be like exactly one per day. Right. It oh, was, okay. you, you, you start the race in Antarctica, you have 168 hours 
to finish the last marathon. So, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of logistics, obviously. And, and so, you know, if you're delayed in one city or another at the airport, like in Santiago, we were delayed for hours just getting through check-in. It was crazy. But um, so, yeah, it wasn't necessarily one per day. It was kind of, um, we would land, get our bags, go through customs, get on the bus, drive to the race location and set up the course as fast as possible and race you know, as fast as possible and, and then get back to the airport and do it again. So it was really, um, you know, kind of, kind of just getting through and they, they, they banked a bit of time in the middle. So in Dubai, they had rented a couple of hotel rooms for everybody to, to, to sort of relax when you finished, you could go lay down in the, in the hotel. And I, I, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't able to sleep a minute, but you know, at least to be able to lie down felt, felt nice. Um, but that's where, you know, one of the ways, one of the many ways that, that my Dexcom helped out here, right. Because I was able to, to keep a, a better eye and a closer eye and, and on what my blood sugar was doing and what that trend was doing and set set those alarms so that I, you know, I, I thought about my blood sugar, you know, every minute of every day. But at the same time, I didn't have to think about it because because I was wearing a Dexcom, you know, and so it, it kind of does a lot that does that work for me. But um, but that was a that was a that was a, a nice comfort for for me and and just a great tool to be able to get get through it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, beyond like the physical, obviously this is a huge physical challenge, right? That, that doesn't even need to be stated. What was the mental and emotional uh, challenge like for you? You know, mental strengthening and mental toughness is something that I, I started, and I, you know, I, I kind of always been aware of it and, and always um, thought about it. But I, I, I I was fortunate in, in college. We, we we were really lucky. We had a uh, sports psychologist that worked with our team. The year we actually got to the national championship, and and he was, you know, he wasn't standing on his head doing magic, right? But he was just having us, it sort of thinking, sort of, you know, thinking differently about situations and and kind of that mental strength and that, and, and so it's something that I've I've thought a lot about over the years, but as I was training for this, I, I quickly realized, you know, yes, there's the physical component. Like, like you said, I'm running 183 miles in the course of a week with the flights, with the travel, with the jet lag, you know, time changes, all that stuff. But the mental, mental side of it is, I don't know, I don't know, 80, 20. I mean, you know, 70, 30, 90, 10, I don't know what that ratio looks like, but if you're not mentally strong enough, you're going to have a lot harder time getting through an event like this. And so I started doing a lot of thinking around that and reading and listening to books and podcasts and, you know, anything I could get my hands on around sort of how to be mentally stronger if possible. And one of the things that I, I, I talk a lot about in the community is those of us with type one, we, we can't quit. And somebody asked me, you know, what happens if you decide to quit? I'm like, well, I'm not going to because that's not an option. I'm doing this. I've got a, a army of a million people behind me that I'm doing this with that are along the ride with me. And and so you, you, you could, if I have to crawl, I'm going to cross the finish line. Right. So there's no way I'm not finishing, but this idea of, of quitting, 
we as type ones, we don't have the option to quit when it comes to type one diabetes. If we quit, the harsh reality is that we die. So quitting isn't an option. So I started thinking about that. Like we, every day in managing this disease, we, you know, that, that iron in the fire, right. We're sort of strengthening that, that mental fortitude, that mental strength and that mental capacity that we have a little bit every day. And we deal with something that is demanding and challenging and, and, and just, just as tough as it gets on a daily basis. And so without even realizing that, I think we are stronger mentally than most people. I mean, not to say other people are mentally strong, but I think because of what we go through and the challenge we face every day, I started realizing that's, that's an advantage for us. And so, um, I, 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 I leaned on that. And so those tough moments where, you know, my stomach wasn't holding up and, you know, I was throwing up or, you know, I was in the toilet and cause of the food and, you know, my legs were killing me or my, you know, whatever, you name it, my back was hurting because just being upright for so long, you know, there was countless things that I could have had as an excuse or, or let slow me down. And, and I think that mental strength that, that we gain from type one really was a tool for me and, and helped me succeed. So when you're in those moments where obviously quitting is not an option, but that's easier said than done. So when yes. you get to that point where decisions are made of like, how bad do I want this? How far am I willing to go? What sort of strategies did you use? Brace yourself for that moment and then get through it. I, a handful of things, you know, certain uh, Britney Spears. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely have, you know, some kind of go-to music that helps, you know, as, as, you know, simple as that is. I wasn't going to judge you, Eric. If you were going to listen to Brittany, man, I was going to let it go. <laughs> no, you know, you know what? Hey, I've, I've got two, two young girls, so we certainly rock out to Brittany all the time. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we, yeah, she, she definitely gets some thumbs up on our, on our uh, radio stations here. But uh, <laughs> no, you know, I, I've got, I've got, you know, kind of, you know, my handful of songs that if I need to throw on and everything from, you know, I don't know. There's a Tom Petty song that like, I'm sure people were, I was running by or were running by me and I'm, you know, basically screaming this song in my terrible singing voice. I'm sure they looked at me weird, but that helped me get through certain moments. And, you know, there was a time in, in Perth where um, because of the time change, I think it was like 1am or something, but because of the time change, I was able to FaceTime with my wife and daughters uh, for, you know, five minutes during the race. I was just kind of just trucking along and, um, and so, you know, that, that helped me a ton. That just kind of gave me that, that push. And, um, we didn't have Wi-Fi on the plane. So every, every day we'd land in whatever country and I would get this download of text messages and, 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 you know, uh, Instagram messages from people around the world that I didn't even, I, you know, some I knew, but some I didn't know. And I may never meet and, but hearing that what I was doing was making an impact, um, that really, that, that I truly fueled me. And, and I, I said that to people like, you don't, you don't know what this means. Like, thank you for reaching out. Um, so, you know, that helped. And, uh, you know, another one that was really, I think one of the bigger surprising in, impacts and sort of kind of happened by 
really by accident and, and, and on the fly, it certainly wasn't something I, I prepared for or expected to have happen, but we were running in Santiago, Chile day number six. And it's, you know, this was another late night start. I don't know what, to, you know, 10 o'clock at night or something we started maybe even later. I, I'm not sure. It was at that point, we didn't know up from down or time zone a from time zone B or whatever, but um, it was late at night and it was, can't remember if it was 12 loops or 14 loops, something like that of, of this course. Um, and it had a, a couple of really steep hills in it. So it, it was a tough course. And that's where I was actually um, pretty sick in, in the bathroom uh, a few times. But I had about three loops to go. And there's there was one of the young women who was just a phenomenal, she's ridiculously fast and on her national running team and uh just a, a phenomenal person and ambassador and um for for running and uh, you know she she was she was passing pretty much everybody um on those on those multi-loop courses and so she was she was about to catch me and i think she had about a loop or so to go maybe a maybe a loop and a half and I could tell she was, she was hurting, you know, and, and everybody was hurting. Right. And so I was running about a nine something minute pace, which was, you know, a, slower than I was hoping. But at that point I just was getting through it. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to help. I'm going to, I'm going to help her if I can. And, and, and so my goal was to sort of when she catches me, I'm going to drop back a bit, have her catch me and then I'm going to pull her along and, and not, you know, actually break that wind but just sort of encourage her and, and so when she caught me i was like all right let's let's go and i gave her a pat on the back and i was like well let, you know let's go and we kind of dropped the hammer and we immediately went down to i think it was a six something pace so we went significantly faster immediately and in my head i'm like well you know she just has one loop left so i'm just gonna i'm gonna help her and if i have to walk my last two laps then so be it right at this point it doesn't really matter i'm just gonna get through it and so we, we finished her loop and, you know, she's, she, she, she was really appreciative and, and it was a lot of fun too, to just kind of run with her because she, she, she was usually running much faster than me. But, uh, but then the, the bit of magic happened, right. In, in doing that, and, you know, I, there's, there's mental kind of, uh, blockers that get released and there's, 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 um, chemical reactions in the body that, that happen when you help somebody. And so what happened was, I then was able to hold that same pace for my last two loops. And, and so I actually ran much faster than expected and had, I had a benefit, you know, that was a result of helping somebody else. And so, um, you know, sometimes getting through those races, it was, it was something that was completely surprising like that. Um, but that, that was certainly a, a, a special way to end that, that race. Yeah, and that that exact not that exact example, but a very similar examples, and this exact topic has come up a lot on this show of you know being able to focus externally onto other people when you're going through something very challenging is a great way to distance yourself from any discomfort you're feeling, but to increase your athletic performance as well, which is, is truly is remarkable, but it seems mm -hmm. to never fail. Um, it, it almost seems counterintuitive because at first you might think like, I just need to focus on me. I don't have energy to be thinking about anybody else, but it quite literally is the opposite. Yeah. It's, 
so true. I, I read a study once or heard something that if you people who sign up to run, whether, whether it be a marathon or anything for a charity have faster times than other races of theirs because they're motivated externally and, and kind of have that added reason for being there. Um, and there you so. go. So, so let's dive into <laughs> yours, man. Cause you're, yeah. Um, so, you know, you've been so generous with your time. You're about to have dinner with your, with your family. So I'm not going to keep you from that any longer, but I do want to talk about this because you're the co-founder of the diabetes sports project. You've talked here on this show. So the last thing I want to touch on is you've also addressed not, not specifically, but talked about a couple different times about the importance of role models in certain endeavors. So how would you, what kind of importance do you put on people leading by example, especially in say underrepresented communities, like say the type one diabetes community, how important is that in terms of not only the person doing it, but for the people who are watching it happen um, and unfold and maybe view that as a potential uh, role model for themselves. You know, I think it's everything. I think that, that, you know, that that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, you know, being a part of DSP, uh, you know, we've got, gosh, it started with eight of us or so. And now we've got almost, I think, over a hundred athletes around the world. Um, and we all have the same mindset that, right. It's, it's these people that it doesn't matter if they're the fastest, if, if they're accomplished a certain thing or a certain level, it's not about sort of, um, you know, metal count or, or times, right. I mean, I'm, there's faster runners than me, you know, there's, there's better type ones than me there. There's better and faster type ones than me. Right. So um, it's not about being the fastest always, but I think what's, what's, what's inspiring. I think really humbling about DSP is it's this group of athletes all with type one from around the world, all walks of life, all sort of athletic accomplishments, but all the same mindset of, you know, Hey, I did this or I did that that's all well and good. But if we don't use that as a way to have an impact and if we don't use that and, and get out in the community and go speak it to kids and, and, and go talk at events and, you know, connect with families, then we're really missing out. Right. And I think that that's, what's great. Cause we, we don't, you know, I don't take a salary and my co-founder, you know, he doesn't take a salary and we've probably, <laughs> we've probably lost more money in DSP than, than we'll, we'll, we'll get back. But you know, it's, 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 it's it's wonderful to see kind of what a empowering um what what an athletic event or or sort of a community event how much that can empower people uh it's it's phenomenal i mean we uh, you know i got an email uh not too long ago from somebody who has had type 1 for 30 years um accomplished athlete successful business person and the email said you know this is, it was following one of our sort of community races where we bring type ones together and, and we, you know, try to make it as, you know, we try to cover as many of the costs as possible so that, you know, cause type one's expensive and trying to do a race is expensive. So we, we kind of take the money out of it so people can do it as, as much, um, you know, basically as free as possible. And, and so, you know, it was following one of these events and he, he wrote and he's like, this is the first time in you know, my type one life where I felt comfortable, confident, and, you know, essentially not alone 
with type one. And, you know, and, and so he was just thanking us for the opportunity. I'm like, that's, you know, we could have stopped there, right? That's, that's the power of it. And for people who are newly diagnosed, like, cause we all went through it, right? For, for, you know, a lot of people when they're diagnosed, they don't know somebody, they don't know where to go to. They don't, they don't know, you know, what, what to turn to. And so for us, it's, it's that combination of, of that inspiration. So they see us and, you know, kind of a variety of sporting accomplishments and they might not care that I ran seven marathons, right. They might be a, the, I don't know, a gymnast. And so they look at our gymnast for inspiration or they might be a, a weightlifter. And so they look at, you know, Rodney for, for, for an inspiration. Cause that guy's a beast. Um, but, you know, I think it's that inspiration, but it's also the education. And so we have this collective knowledge base of some, you know, years and years and decades of, of life with type one, living an active life with type one. And so how do we use that to have a positive impact? And, you know, we're, we're not, we're not doctors, we're, we're not endocrinologists. Um, but we, we, we work a lot with JDRF and the JDRF peak program, which is the performance and exercise and knowledge that was you know, three years in the making of, you know, some of the leading endocrinologists around the world. And, you know, so we go talk about that content, which is really the sort of best practice of exercise and type one diabetes or, you know, living an active life with type one. Um, so it's a lot of fun. You know, we were putting together some uh, running events from, you know, marathons to five Ks to relays to, um, tough mutters. I mean, you kind of name it, whatever, however we can bring people together. Um, we try to do it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, on top of the athletic stuff, you know, next, uh, next week I'm going to a couple, um, hospitals, uh, not, not for work, but to, to go speak to the endocrinology department and go talk to their, you know, their teen groups and, and, uh, meet with some of their newly diagnosed patients and, and, you know, our athletes do that around the country. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. And, you know, we try to help, help in whatever way we can. You guys are certainly doing amazing things. That you, what you were able to do, the World Marathon Challenge, you know, whether someone is looking at you as just someone who's doing something that's you know, on, on so many levels incomprehensible, whether they have type 1 diabetes or not, it really is fantastic. So congratulations on everything you're doing, both your group and you personally, if someone wants more information about Diabetes Sports Project, where can they find it? Um, you know, we've got social media pages on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, diabetesportsproject.org. Um, they can email me. I mean, I, I talk to a family or two every, every week from somewhere around the world um, or follow me on Instagram or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, there's we're out there in the social media world. <laughs> got it. Eric, thank you so much for coming on. This was just a tremendous conversation. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate the time and for having me on. Thank you, Eric, for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. This was simply incredible as Eric is. You know, hopefully you like the episode as much as just as as much as I love this guy. He is, is what he's able to do and what he has done is so inspirational and amazing. And shoot, man. He's a young guy. He's got a lot more in the tank. I can't wait to see what he does next. Also, big ups to Mercury Mile and Megaton Coffee for sponsoring this episode. 
You can use code RamblingRunner10 at MercuryMile.com to get all the best gear and use code LISTEN to save on a pound of coffee. Get a free pound of coffee when you subscribe to their monthly service. I do both. I, you know, I get a, a box every season from Mercury Mile, which I can't wait to do. Spring is here. I'm about to order a new one. In addition, I get the monthly, um, the monthly Megaton Coffee subscription. I've been doing it for over a year now, and I'm a big fan. So you should too. So check them out, MercuryMile.com and MegatonCoffee.com. Thank you for everything all of you do from a listener perspective. So many people comment and share the episodes and rate them, and just your feedback is so helpful. This guest, Eric Tozer, came as a recommendation from a previous guest, Kevin Hopp. He goes, hey, you got to have Eric on the show. And he's been messaging me for a while now, like, hey, you got to get Eric. You got to get Eric. And Eric wasn't on my radar. And it was, if it wasn't for Kevin, he wouldn't have been. And I can't be more thankful. Thank you, Kevin. I hope you're still listening. But with that said, thank you to all of you. I really appreciate it. And happy running.